Hello, how are you? Great to be with you folks today. What an honor. I have a really exciting episode for you folks. I am very happy to be uh, interviewing or having a great conversation with Ralph Ruiz again. Ralph is a master life coach. And if you are unaware of who he is, I highly advise that you stop this episode right now and you go back and you listen to the first episode I recorded with him that will give you a little bit more context about who he is, where he's coming from, and what he does. So if you're familiar with him, let's continue on. He is, in my opinion, among the very first people to consciously break past chronic pain and get past the sticky identification with this so-called incurable diagnosis of AS or, or any other kind of autoimmune condition. For him, specifically, was AS. He is a true pioneer in the world of true healing. It was an honor to create this episode, and I look forward to creating more episodes with him in the future. If you are interested in coaching with him, please follow the links below in the description of this episode. You'll be able to get in touch with him. All his information is in there. Also, if you are interested in coaching with me, please get a hold of me. My information is in the same place, and I offer a conversation or a chat with anyone for free um, so that I can answer any questions or direct you in any way I can. And if you'd like to do further coaching, we can set up something that works for um, the both of us. I wish you folks nothing but the best. Enjoy this episode, and have a great day or evening wherever you are. Hey there, Ron. Brother Eisner, good to see you. <laughs> Great to see you. My first question for you, Ralph, we'll get right into it. I know people are dying to hear. <laughs> okay, so my first question, um, is AS, rheumatoid arthritis, uh, psoriatic arthritis, autoimmune conditions, chronic pain, are these, could they be categorized under TMS in your personal professional opinion? In my personal opinion, yes. AS is TMS. In my opinion, yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. Why? Why? That's a good question. Um, TMS, <laughs> TMS, the term TMS, tension myositis syndrome, uh, coming from the book Healing Back Pain, written by, I call him the legendary Dr. John Sarno. Um, there is a chapter in there. This, this, I recommended that book to a lot of people, and that's one of the questions I get a lot. Because there is a part in that book where specifically the written, the, the actual paper book, because uh, there is an audio book version and it's not the same, it's different. Uh, but in the written version, there's a part in that where he says that rheumatoid arthritis is an autoimmune condition and it's not TMS. You know, that's that's something completely different. Like he says it right there in the book, it's an inflammatory condition. And then later on in the same book, he mentions Norman Cousins and how he healed from ankylosing spondylitis. Uh, he states specifically that Norman Cousins used a form of humor therapy 
So he literally laughed it off. He would watch comedy for two hours every night before going to sleep. Uh, he would take high doses of vitamin C, and that's how he went into remission. And Dr. Sarno points out that he uh, Sarno doesn't didn't believe that Norman Cousins healed because of the comedy or the vitamin C. He healed because of his uh, recognition that the pain was due to repressed negative emotions. Um, and you could also find some of those interviews with Norman Cousins talking about the rage that he had behind the pain. Uh, they're right on YouTube. You know, you go to Norman Cousins interview and you'll find some of that uh, good stuff in there. Uh, and then later on, after that part in the book, he talked about autoimmune responses and how they were identical to TMS. So they had the same exact triggers. And he gave examples of mice, uh, how they were conditioned to have an autoimmune response uh, under certain conditions. And they were able to see that there was a, a, I'm not too crazy about the word psychosomatic because people don't know what that means, but there is a uh, psychological trigger uh, to autoimmune conditions uh, based on that study. So after reading that, and then you read some of Sarno's uh, books later on, like The Divided Mind, um, he talks about some of that stuff in there and also some of his interviews that he did after he wrote the initial healing back pain book. And he, he says that all, you know, autoimmune conditions and, uh, these inflammatory conditions and even some forms of, uh, cancer can be traced back to some form of, uh, psychological stress. And that's, that's why I believe that it's the same thing, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. Going, going over to uh, Bruce Lipton and trying to connect the dots with Sarno, him talking about the gene, like there can be a gene, latent gene, gene expression is uh, triggered, say, mm -hmm. by a stressor, our environment. Yes. So our environment, we're mirroring our environment. The fact is that the gene doesn't necessarily cause, it's just like a marker. It's It can express itself or not if you turn it on, but you can turn it off based on the amount. Okay. How would you link the two in this discussion? Like uh, the genetic marker? Yeah. Like, is there a discussion there for you? Like, do you think there's a genetic marker? HLA-B27, do you think it holds any, any truth, any weight in this? It does, but not the way people think. So HLA-B27, uh, according to research, has been shown to be more closely correlated with OCD, which is obsessive compulsive disorder, than it is for ankylosing spondylitis. And it it is the OCD that leads to ankylosing spondylitis, not the other way around. Holy shit. Okay. I haven't come across this. Where did you find this? I'll, I'll send you some resources. Yeah. yeah. I, some studies that is fascinating. Okay. Yeah. HLA-B27 or obsessive compulsive disorder triggering HLA-B27 and then there's the myriad of so it'll be HLA-B27 being correlated with OCD and then OCD is what leads to chronic pain conditions okay and, and inflammatory conditions um the first time I came across this was like maybe eight years ago uh, it was someone I was speaking with and she is a scientist by profession and she, we had a long discussion. She went home and just like scientists, you know, they do what they do. They dig deeper. And she came back. She said, Ralph, look at this, you know, exactly what we were talking about. 
you know, because I mentioned that people with AS are obsessive by nature, you know, we're, we're just obsessive people. We can't help ourselves, you know, any little thing that grabs our attention, we just get really obsessed uh, with it. And uh, which makes it ideal for a TMS type of coping mechanism, you know, because TMS is trying to distract you from deeper issues. So what better way to grab some guys or some person's attention who has OCD than to <laughs> give them a little back pain, you know, or inflammation somewhere where they don't want it. So she showed it to me. I go, wow, that is mind blowing, you know, and did help me understand things at, at a deeper level with the people that I was seeing at the time. So mm -hmm. that's, that's what I've seen. So if there is a link uh, between HLA B27 and ankylosing spondylitis, there is that midpoint. And that midpoint, in my opinion, is extremely important to be aware of for the simple fact that if you try to get rid of your pain directly, you're doomed. Right? You're doomed. You're going to be rubbing your back, massaging it, foam rolling it for the rest of your life. You know, <laughs> right. can pain it's never going to happen. But if you can understand that there is a there is a bridge between HLA B27 and your symptoms and that bridge being obsessive personality traits, now it becomes easier to understand that when you wake up first thing in the morning and your mind immediately, you know, goes looking for the pain. You know, there's not one person on this planet with chronic pain that can argue against that. As soon as you wake up in the morning, you're checking to see where the pain is. You know, is it really bad? Is it not so bad? You know, am I stiff today? Am I not so stiff? Should I go to my obsessive ritual and start stretching or should I watch out for, for my diet? There's no there's nobody on the planet with chronic pain that can argue against it. I've been there. I know what it's like. You know, as soon as I open my eyes in the morning, oh, where's the pain? You know, and of course, you know, it's not going to go anywhere. You know, you're always checking it. You're always monitoring it. You're always looking to see if you're progressing or not, you know, and that's part of the bridge in the middle. Now you can address the bridge in the middle and work with the bridge in the middle. And that can lead to physical relief. You know, the good kind that, that we're looking for, just understanding that, that midpoint. Okay, let's talk about the midpoint. Let's talk about mm -hmm. the bridge. Someone comes to you, you're working with them, you've gone through some knowledge, you arrive at the bridge. How do we address the bridge? The one that the, we were just talking about. The obsessive, the constant monitoring, the constant being obsessed with all this good stuff. That's a very good question. And um, it is literally the main reason why I shifted my title from mind body healer to life coach you know it's literally the main reason you know so i've structured everything i do to make the work more effective you know because being exactly what dr sarno describes high achiever you know obsessive you know all that good stuff of course i want it to be more effective you know i want it to be so effective that it, it can almost guarantee you know 100 uh result so shifting to to life coach and away from mind body healer um, gave me the power to do one thing and one thing only and that is attack whatever problem is you know it doesn't necessarily have to be just back pain from your peripherals so the very first thing that any person trying to heal from chronic pain needs to do is understand that if you attack this problem directly you're never going to get out of it it has to be from your peripheral it has to be from your side view. It has to be your, your, you know, you go to college, you have your, your 
your major you know it's like this is my major course right here and then you have uh like a, a secondary a second major that you that you look into it has to be your second major you know it has to be like your second thing that you want to do in your life uh so when i when i work with someone who's looking specifically for mind body healing um i have two requirements and requirement number one is that there has to be a commitment to living that is greater than than their fear of being in pain or their fear of whatever condition they are fighting against so that automatically helps me create um a a higher purpose something bigger to aim for something something that is not related to pain you know and usually that's where your real life uh your, your real meaning of life comes comes into fruition because some people will tell me well i've always wanted to be a dancer you know great let's let's work on that let's see how we can get you back on the dance floor you know well i really wanted to be an athlete i really wanted to play golf i really wanted to write novels and poetry i really wanted to play music you know now we're creating we're reconnecting with a with a deeper part of who they truly are and from the peripherals you know from our peripheral vision we address the bridge you know we address the issue we address uh what's happening that's keeping them obsessed with this pain you know so that's that's the very first thing that's how we address the bridge step one give me something bigger if you don't have anything bigger we can still get rid of the pain but guess what you know guess what happens when people go at it and they successfully heal their pain and they didn't have something bigger guess what's waiting for them at the end of the healing journey mm. depression and when that depression kicks in you get a higher chance of relapse you know because healing the pain was their life purpose it was their reason for living it was the thing that they couldn't stop thinking about it was the the anchor of their obsessive thinking and 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 attention and all that good stuff so we need something bigger because once you get rid of that back pain if you don't have it depression could be waiting for you mm -hmm. and that's a that's a really un, like it, i struggled with that man you know for a good three to four years i struggled with that depression um, until eventually whew, there it is <laughs> something bigger <laughs> purpose <laughs> what what was your purpose just you know a personal note my purpose is living yeah that's that's my purpose just living living here in the moment living life experiencing life experiencing myself getting to know myself um that, that's my purpose just being here having this discussion and i don't get too caught up in uh changing the world type of purposes or fixing things type of purposes i'm not there anymore at one point i was i was very upset with the medical industry as as you know but i'm not there anymore you know i'm i'm, I'm in a place where just being here is is, is amazing you know it's fantastic mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's my purpose cool where do you begin with uh with a client you meet up with someone they show up they contact you walk me through it like uh are you asking questions are you listening to them what's uh what's what goes on typically in your first conversation what goes on is that my ocd kicks in yours yeah 
Okay. Yeah, that's we'll we'll talk about that in a second because um, <laughs> you know when when people think wow OCD right is that oh obsessive stuff oh my god I have to stop being so obsessive you know guess what happens the obsessive person gets obsessed with trying to not be obsessive right so we're gonna go over a few things uh, that I like to share with the listeners that they can take with them and uh, use it as some like like a guide that can help them better understand but what the real journey is like, not the fake journey, because there is a fake journey. Um, and one of those things is, is basically channeling certain tendencies that chronic pain sufferers have in a healthy way, right? So my OCD, you know, in the past, it was caught up with a whole bunch of things that weren't serving me, but now it gets caught up with listening. I'm an obsessive listener. Like when I sit down and I speak with a person, I pay attention to everything they say, their facial expressions, their breathing patterns, where their voice is coming from, you know, like how, how many times are they laughing? You know, why do they laugh every time we talk about this? All of those things. Like I just absorb like a sponge. So from the moment that I receive an email uh, from someone, I'm reading what it is that they're writing. And I'm like really just, taking these mental notes about everything that is being said in that email. And then I write back. Usually I tell them, you know, give me a call, you know, let's chat, you know, let's have a conversation, you know, and then I pay attention how much time between that email. I don't sit there and literally count, you know, but if I send an email and I hear back from the person two years later, I remember that, you know, I've had people tell me, Wow, you remember that conversation we had 10 years ago? Yeah, I remember it. I remember it. Your hair was like this. <laughs> they're like, oh my God, that's that's strange. You know, it's like, it's like, yeah, I know, I know. But um basically I listen to everything uh that's being said, um, how they say it, the words that they use, and that's where the journey begins. You know, I take it from there. Just listening. To, to what it is that's being said. You'll be amazed um, how much we say that we don't realize we're saying, you know? And when someone has uh, training, uh, like myself, and, and listening, deep, deep listening, some call it heart-centered listening, uh, and you can go real deep, it doesn't take much uh, for that person to, to ask the right questions, you know, ask the right questions and help the patient uh, see for themselves what's really right in front of them. Yeah, so that's that's where we start listening. Hmm. And uh, how by listening to them, you're picking up on things you're discovering, maybe OCD tendencies in themselves. Uh, ways they're masking, ways they're TMSing. Mm -hmm. And then do you do you ask questions about that to get to know more about that? I ask a whole bunch of questions to better understand what I'm listening to, mm. uh, to uh, better listen to my own listening, you know, just really clarify uh, what's happening there. And as it becomes clearer to the both of us, together we walk towards a solution. What is commonly, if you could generalize it, what is commonly discovered among folks that come to you with chronic pain? Discovered is, in what sense? Like, like the is, stories? Uh, stories, uh, patterns, 
defense mechanisms, uh, ways of ways of ways of um, ways that they're avoiding feeling, avoiding being aware, avoiding doing what it is that they actually want to do in their life. Boy, that's a good question. Um, what is most common? First, uh, let me just share this thought for a moment. There is a symptom that most people with chronic pain have, and they don't realize that is a that it's a symptom um, until someone mentions it, and even after someone mentions it, they may have a hard time recognizing it. And that symptom stems from anxiety. Right? So anxiety is a very common thing in people with chronic pain. You know, the anxiety, the loop of anxiety and depression is, is usually there. And one of the symptoms that stems from anxiety is the need for reassurance. And I want to mention that first before we go into the list of the most common things that people do to avoid what's behind the TMS uh, experience, because there's a chance that when a person is experiencing a flare-up, they're going to come back to this podcast episode just to reassure themselves, and they're going to experience some relief, and they're going to go about their day, and they're going to keep fooling around in this loop that's never, never going to end. And I want to point that out because in the past, I've created a lot of digital content, you know, like videos and a uh, bunch of stuff that people can listen to. And I've moved away from that stuff because I'm not in the business of therapy. I'm not in the business of, uh, you know, come to me every other day and I try to keep you here forever. Um, that's not, I don't believe in that. I don't believe in, let me keep you here forever. I believe in, let me show you what's right in front of you. Together, we can find a way to completely transform your life. And then you can move on and live happily ever after. And I don't have to see you ever again. But if you remember me and you have a referral, I'll take it. You know, great. You know, but just go on and live. You know, go live your life. That's what we're here for. We're not here to be therapying forever. So I want to point out, you know, to be mindful of the reassurance thing as we go through this little list of things that people do. So when the stress response is triggered, the majority of chronic pain sufferers are going to experience one of the following seven things, if not many of them. And when we are looking to dissolve TMS, maybe just TMS like the Sarno version or severe TMS, like fibromyalgia, ankylosing spondylitis, and so on. These are the seven things that we're looking into. These are the seven things that we have to let go and know that they do not they do not involve trauma, right? Because it's a very popular thing out there that you have to heal your trauma to get rid of your back pain. And you don't. You don't have to heal your trauma. But these seven things oftentimes stem from trauma. Yeah, but that's between you and your therapist, the, the whole trauma story, if you want to go there, if it comes up. But you don't have to heal your trauma. 
And that's one of the reasons why a lot of people shy away from this to begin with, because they go, whoa, you know, mind-body healing. Yeah, I have a history of trauma. 80% of people with chronic pain have a history of trauma. Yeah, that's one of the things that is very common, you know, 80% of the time. Something happened while you were growing up. Okay. So let's get to the first one. When the chronic stress or when a stress response is triggered, the first behavior, and this is not in any order, okay, just going through what I have on my list, is striving. Striving, striving, striving. It's it's an obsession with needing to be more productive, needing to do more, needing to read more, needing to achieve more. And it just goes on and on and on and on and on. So a lot of pain sufferers end up being very successful in what they do simply because that's what they did with their stress response. This is how they learned how to soothe the emotions that came up as they were learning to soothe themselves. Right, so striving. Number two, people-pleasing. I think that one pretty is pretty self-explanatory. But people-pleasing is basically a, a chronic habit of saying yes when you want to say no, or a chronic habit of trying to control other people's emotions around you and trying to make them feel better, feel good, feel happy. Okay, making sure that everyone around you is feeling happy. You want to be the light of the party so that everyone can feel good at this party. All right. Number three is controlling. And people pleasing is a form of controlling. But I think that one explains itself as well. All right, trying to control things. And sometimes it can be a little deceptive <clears throat> because the need for control can come out as you're trying to control your symptoms. All right, so one person sits down to meditate, and it's simply to experience the moment, be more mindful, be more present, you know, have that clear space. Another person sits down to meditate to try to control those emotions and try to control their stress and try to control their symptoms. They look like they're doing the same thing, but they're not. So when you go on the internet and you read, Meditation is great for pain relief. And you go, yeah, let me do that. <laughs> but the part that you missed is that the moment it says for pain relief, it's speaking to the part of you that wants to control it. It's not speaking to the part of you that's actually going to get better. If you have a hobby and you have a habit of meditating and you enjoy it, great. But if you're doing it to get rid of your back pain, it's not going to work. It's a waste of time. Number four on the list is constantly monitoring your symptoms and your progress, which is why we have that number one requirement. So anyone who, Ralph, I want to work with you. Great. We have this requirement. Your commitment to living has to be greater than your pain, your fear of your pain. Otherwise, we're going to keep monitoring along the way. Is this working? Is it not working? Right? Am I doing enough? Am I not doing enough? Am I doing it right? Am I not doing it right? Number five is perfectionism. This is one of my favorite ones because sometimes I hear from people, Ralph, I'm 99.9% .9 better. It's just a little pinch. <laughs> 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 
boy, how do I tell him? <laughs> how do I tell him? The moment you let go of wanting to be 100%, like magic, you end up being 100%. It's like, wow, what did I do? Nothing. You let it go. You stop trying to be 100% cured. You know, if you're 99.9%, .9%, embrace that. You know, for me, just being able to walk around without a limp, without painkillers was fantastic. You know, so I never had the issue with the 99.9%. .9%. <laughs> Number six is grandiose fantasies. And um, this one, the patient has to be their own judge. Okay, so grandiose fantasies is getting lost in grandiose thoughts, you know, and they can be of all different types. You know, I, I want to be super rich to help my family. It's like, great. You know, is it a reality? Can it potentially be a reality? Absolutely. You know, anything is possible. I mean, for crying out loud, we're sitting here talking about healing and an, an incurable disease you know like that's a fantasy to, to most people on the planet but the difference is that with a fantasy there is no intent whatsoever to take action so if you want to be rich and help your family if there's an action plan if you're if you seriously intend to do it then it's not a grandiose fantasy it's a plan but if you're just sitting there mentally fantasizing about these things it's time to let that go right it's time time to let it go number seven is goodism and this is the last one goodism and righteous warriors the ones that have these ideal ideas about what the world should be like what people should be like uh usually these people are very angry inside outside they look very calm and peaceful but inside they're very angry because everything they prohibit themselves from doing they want to prohibit everyone else from doing sometimes when they project and they go after the government or they go after the rich people the government doesn't give up about any of us you know the government this the government that or they go after the the medical people which i was stuck in that loop for some time, I was really upset with the medical people. Why didn't they tell me this? You know, they just want they just want to make money off of the sick people. And eventually, once you let that go, you realize that everything is exactly as it needs to be. This journey is not about proving your doctor wrong. It's not about proving your parents wrong. It's not about proving the government wrong. It's about reconnecting to who you are and being true to yourself. Getting to know that being learning how to live with it, ending the war with yourself. And those are the seven things. So when we work through mind-body healing, those are the seven things that we're working on. However, those seven things are applied to the higher purpose, the bigger thing. If you try to, you know, good luck trying to apply number four, which is letting go of monitoring uh, your symptoms when you're still focused on healing as your number one priority. You know, good luck. That takes care of itself the moment you wake up in the morning and it's no longer about where's my pain. You know, when I was going through my healing, 
I'll wake up in the morning. I wasn't thinking about where's my pain. You know what I was thinking about? I was thinking about what color shoes I'm going to wear to go jogging. Because at the time, I was like obsessed with boxing. And it was like my thing. It's like, God, I freaking love boxing. So I wake up in the morning. Am I going to wear the blue Ionics or the green Ionics? <laughs> you know? So I'm going to go with the green Ionics today. I will text my buddies. Hey, I'm going running. You want to meet, meet up with me? And every morning, that's all I was thinking about. Eventually, I forgot. I totally forgot about the pain. The pain disappeared. I just forgot about it. Just went away. And then my dad moved into the apartment and it started to come back. <laughs> and that's when I when I reached out to my mentor, Edward Gauss. I said, hey, look, this pain is coming back. You know, it's like, I don't know what's going on here. And then we started going into the mind, my beliefs about myself, the threat that my father presented to me at a at a psychological and emotional level, learning how to work with that, learning how to work with that threat. You know, so here we are doing a healing, but the greater purpose was learning how to communicate, how to socialize, you know, how to be myself, even though my dad was around, you know, how to handle my father's anger and his mood swings. And most importantly, how to make enough money for me to move out of my 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 apartment where my dad was, which was also his apartment, and get my own place because I'm worthy of having my own place, my own home. You see? So it was never, my healing journey was never, how do I get rid of this back pain? It was it was never directly in front of me. Mm -hmm. You know, it's at the peripherals. And then once it went away, came the depression. Because I didn't know how to cope. I didn't know how to cope with life without creating physical symptoms. How did you move through the depression? Like, what was your journey, uh, that, that second part? Um, the second part of the journey was getting better. First, I had to let go of the goodism because I still had a lot of that uh, going around. I had to let go of the people pleasing because I still had a lot of that going around. And also understanding uh, my need for control and what was behind my striving. Right. So those those are the things that took care of the depression. But most importantly, I, I could say that the number one thing that helped me the most take care of the depression was learning how to say no, learning how to set boundaries, you know, learning how to express my anger in a healthy way. And I was too busy being the happy guy. I was happy all the time and, you know, and forget about it. It was it was that was just my thing. All my friends would come over and they're like, oh, I need this. You know, can you lend me 500 bucks? And I'm like, geez, I'm struggling here, but take everything I got. You know, it's like, no, no more of that. You know, and I lost a lot of friends, mm -hmm. quote unquote friends, because I was no longer pleasing them the way they wanted to be pleased. So that's that's that was the second part of my journey. Um, I enjoyed the second part way better than the first part. Yeah, you know, way better because the second part had side effects that I was very pleased with. You know, really nice side effects. One of them was um, reconnecting with my true feelings and my true vulnerability, and that opened up a channel of or a heart 
a heart center, whatever you want to call it, but it opened up something in me where I can feel genuine, authentic love for people. Some of them are family members, some are just friends, some are just strangers on the internet, but that that connection, you know, that feeling, like that feeling of love with people around me, just for who they are, that's one of the side effects. You know, I don't I don't love people because they agree with me. I don't love them because we both believe in some religious book. You know, I, I don't I don't love people because you know they behave a certain way. It's just human. It's so nice to be human. You know, I say, look at that guy. Oh, he's fucking everything up. Yeah, look at him go. You know, and I can feel that connection to him. You know, it's like, don't you think he should be punished? Yeah, maybe, maybe. You know, but man, you know, like I once saw a guy on a bus. I was on a bus and that kid's on a bus. And he screams at the top of his lungs, something along the lines. I fucking hate this. Like it was something like, and everyone was like, oh my God. You know, and there I am just really loving this guy because I can't tell you how many times I wanted to scream the same thing. <laughs> and there he was doing it. It's like, wow, look at him go, you know. So that's one of the side effects. Um, and then other areas of my life just improved. My finances, my marriage, um, socializing, everything. Everything just got so much better uh, during the second part of the journey. Yeah. Um, how, do you, how do you work with people to... Um, you talked about the war with the self. Mm-hmm. How do you get in there? Ending the war with yourself? Yeah. That's a good question. Um, I don't think I do anything for that. I think that's something that just happens naturally. Um, I give an example, right? So we as human beings, we're all walking, breathing, living contradictions. All of us myself included we're all human living breathing contradictions and what i mean by that is that if you're hanging out with a few friends and their thing is gambling for example and you're not much of a gambler you hang out with them long enough they bring out the part of you that likes to gamble so it may take a week two weeks three weeks four weeks but it's only a matter of time before you start gambling too Right. This is this is just how we human beings function. And we all like to think, oh, no, no, I'm, I'm independent. I have my own mind. I make my own decisions. No, no, no. You hang out with enough gamblers long enough, you start gambling. Right. Part of you. OK. And then there may be some beliefs around that, what it means to be a gambler, et cetera, et cetera, and so on and so on. And then you may find yourself moving away from it and hanging out with people that are very good. You know, goodest. They don't gamble. They don't smoke. They don't drink. Very good people. You know, they all they care about is their responsibilities and you know taking care of the right stuff in life. You hang out with these people long enough, and you start to behave that way too. You get what I'm saying so far? Mm -hmm. So it just so happens that who you who you're around long enough starts to change the way you see yourself and the way you see the world around you. So just being there for other people, and it doesn't matter what they say, 
they, they, they can say, you know, like this, there's a gentleman I invited to this podcast. Hopefully he gets on eventually. But one of the first things he said to me was, Ralph, yeah, I'm not going to lie. I'm skeptical and I feel like you're a fraud. I said, perfect. No problem. You know, where do you feel this in your body? I feel it here. Uh, great. Thank you for being honest. You know, I appreciate that. I respect it. You know, by session three, he was like, I haven't had any pain, you know, because this war with yourself is no more than you trying to push away a part of you that you currently don't recognize. So when you're hanging out with the gamblers, you may be at war with yourself with the part of you that's the goodest and does everything right. When you're hanging out with the goodest, there may be a part of you that's at war with the part of you that likes to gamble and do wicked things. You get what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So where you are in your current state of being, we as human beings in general, there's going to be a part of us that that feels a certain way about another part of us. But it doesn't mean that it's not there. It only means are you in the right crowd that allows you to have that experience? If you're hanging out with a bunch of people that every time you get angry, all they tell you is, look, look, look at you being angry, upset, you know, you're going to keep repressing your anger. But if you're hanging out with a bunch of angry people and they have no shame around it, your anger just comes out. No one has an issue with it. It's not a problem. Get what I'm saying? It's like, it's, it's, it's okay. So if there is a doing, you know, help in, when helping someone end the war with themselves, it's just helping them be aware that they have these different parts of who they are and it's okay. I have them too. Yeah, we all have them. We all have these different parts of ourselves. And when you decide that one part is better than the other, you know, it's better to be a good person than it is to be a gambler. Now you're at war with yourself. Yeah, we hear it all the time. You know, I used to do this. I used to do that. Like uh, there was a movie with um, Religious, with um, the comedian uh, Bill. Forget his last name. But um, there was in that in that movie there was a part where a trucker was talking about. Um, I was lost. I was lost. All I was doing was doing. I had a bunch of money. I was doing cocaine. I had hookers all the time. And the comedian says. I don't see what's the problem. <laughs> it sounds like a great time to me, you know? So, you know, this person found God and they decided to go to war with themselves, with the part of them that used to do that. You know, the road to self-actualization and reconnecting with yourself and having authentic, true self-love is being aware of that reality. You know, that's what it means to be human. You get in the mirror, you do positive affirmations, trying to love yourself. I love myself. I love myself. I love myself. You're at war with yourself, buddy. Doesn't matter how many times you say you love yourself. You're at war with yourself. And the part of yourself that you're at war with is the part of you that doesn't love you. We all have a part of us that doesn't love us. And it's okay. So to end that war is to look in the mirror and go, eh, I don't love myself today. I'm looking kind of fat. And then what happens? You go to the gym, you get a gym membership, you make new friends, you get on a healthy diet. That part of you that didn't love you for being a little overweight just improved your life. So is it really, is, is there really such a thing as not loving yourself? I don't know. I'll let you decide. But the point is that we all have that in us. 
And the moment you say, I'm going to do positive affirmation so I can learn to love myself, damn, you are so close. So close. So close. But now you're going to do these affirmations and continue the war. Mm. Wow. Um, so let's talk about hanging out with uh, gamblers mm -hmm. um, and do goodness. And then being at war with it, um, just want to get in there a little bit more. Mm -hmm. uh, one thing that I personally struggled with, and I've talked to several people, TMSing or not TMSing, mm -hmm. just being alive. Um, at what point do we say, you know, is there a point where we say, these people I'm hanging out with, I should just stop hanging out with, you know, and, and that's hard when they're our friends, mm -hmm. even harder when they're our family, you know, so is it a part of us that we're unwilling to face and we're at war with, or I, you know, is there some circumstances where people step away from other people or do we just learn to just be in the presence of that and maybe choose to spend less time with it that's a good question and um the way that i've experienced it you know everyone experiences experiences it in their own way but the way that i've experienced it is that um whenever i find myself having a hard time being around quote unquote toxic people because you know, i have a lot of toxic people in my family uh but my difficulty in being around them was coming from the part of me that wanted to be a goodest it wanted to be perfect. It wanted to hide my own shame from myself. And it was just me psychologically telling myself that I was somehow better than my mom and better than my dad or better than my brothers and sisters because they were toxic and I'm not toxic. You know, it was just me fighting myself. So ultimately, recognizing that there's a part of me that was full of shame and trying to run away from it. You know, by being a goodist and a people pleaser and a perfect ideal individual in the eyes of other people, recognizing that was step one. And step two was recognizing that my family and I are exactly the same. We're not different. I'm just as wicked and as toxic as they are. You know, now the question is, do I recognize that? And two, am I okay with that? You know, so I can hang out with my want to see see my mom tomorrow, hang out with my mom, you know, and have our usual conversations. You know, my mom really enjoys conversations about who got arrested, who was shot, who was stabbed the other day, you know, what really negative thing is happening in somebody else's life. And I'm gonna sit there and enjoy it. I'm gonna sit there, mom. You have where'd you get these? These are really good. Wow, yeah. You know, I'm gonna enjoy whatever snacks she has in the fridge and listen to all this tragic stuff. You know, all right, mom, see you later. You know, I'm going home now. And then I go home and in my house, we don't hear any of that. We don't even watch the news here. We don't talk about Pookie and who got arrested or who got stabbed this time. We don't do any of that in my house. You know, in my house, my wife and I, it's like so peaceful in here, so relaxed and everything but I'm not resistant to the part of me that does enjoy these tragic stories. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, for crying out loud, I do it for a living. You know, I sit down and listen to tragic stories all day. So to be at war with myself is to say, ah, oh, no, I need positivity. You know, what, what changes? 
You know, what changes? You sit with a client and you talk about tragic stories versus sitting with your mom and listening to tragic. What changes? You know? It's just you. The whole thing is just you. You know? But some people need that. Some people need to hide their own shame from themselves. And that's where these behaviors come in and the and the back pain comes in and the flare-ups come in. Right? Because we've been conditioned to believe that we can be quote unquote better versions of ourselves, you know, good people or whatnot. It's like, dude, you were born perfect. You know, you were already born perfect. Just embrace it. You know, your your flaws are part of your perfection. Hmm. Or perceived flaws are part of your perfection. So what if you like tragic stories? You know, so what if if you happen to be extra sensitive? You know, so what if your family triggers you? It is what it is, you know, in society, uh, what, what's the other thing? In psychology, they call it dysfunctional families. And I don't believe in that. There's no such thing as dysfunctional families. These are people that learned how to survive in the environment that they were in. They're very functional, very functional. You know, it's like these, uh, you ever seen the Tiger King where he has all these tigers in a cage? Mm. Those, those tigers can't go back to the wild because they are dysfunctional to survive in the wild. But yet you can have them as pets, you know? So they're, they're functional based on the environment that they're in. So our family, you know, it doesn't matter. You know, oh, they're, my mom is an alcoholic. My dad is a drug addict. You know, I used to get beat. I used to have this. These people are dysfunctional. They're toxic. No, they're not. They're functional based on their trauma, their environment. They never got therapy. They don't even know what that is. But again, if you're in a crowd of goodest, the gamblers look like the devil. But if you're in a crowd of devils, the gamblers look like <laughs> whatever, <laughs> you know? So that's that's my point on that. That's that's my take on that. That's ending the war with yourself. I want to pry a little bit more mm -hmm. uh, with uh, uh, relationships, uh, spousal relationships. Mm -hmm. um, I know that... Uh, folks can find themselves, you know, relationships can get challenging. Mm -hmm. Um, and they're incredible mirrors mm -hmm. <laughs> and can get, uh, uh, can get confusing as to, mm -hmm. you know, how to respond to what the other person is perceivably making me feel. Mm -hmm. Um, and losing sight of the awareness that we're with this person perhaps for a reason you know mm -hmm. <laughs> not all people uh i don't well i don't, I don't know has your you don't have to answer this has your mm -hmm. relationship always been peaceful or did you have no? Hell no! <laughs> <laughs> hell no! I said our house is peaceful, you know. But okay. um, no, it hasn't hasn't always been that way, and it's not always peaceful. You know, my wife and I were just arguing before doing this podcast. You know, <laughs> but but the arguments are different. You know, the arguments are very different. Um, when we first started dating, and I had my issues, um, the arguments were always uh, destructive. 
you know, there was always either we're going to destroy the relationship and not be together anymore, you know, maybe because we were young, you know, we started dating 17 years ago. So, you know, it's like wow. maybe because we were young. But as I went through my own healing journey, um, I learned how to argue with my wife in a healthy way. You know, it's okay. We need to have these tug and pulls. You know, if your relationship never has arguments and is perfect, you have a problem. You know, someone is not speaking up, you know, so we need to have these arguments, these these tugs and pulls and, you know, and, and all that extra stuff in order to have a healthy relationship. The, the difference is how do you perceive those arguments? You know, how do you see them? Is it a personal attack? Do you feel unsafe, you know, physically or emotionally or psychologically? Do you feel like you have to hold back on your true feelings? Do you feel like you have to bend over backwards? You know, it's like, are you comfortable negotiating your needs, you know, your true needs with your partner? Yeah. And if you and if you are, then yeah, some of that, some of that negotiating negotiation is going to get heated. Yeah, and that's that's okay too. But for the most part, once we have common ground, we understand each other, we respect each other, we go back to being peaceful most of the time. Yeah, not always, but most of the time. Do you think most relationships could be resolved when both parties are willing to work on it? If there's problems, yes. If they're having issues and, and they need to resolve or come to a solution or something, if both parties are willing to communicate, absolutely. But both parties have to have that same commitment uh, to the relationship. You know, sometimes in relationships, uh, we demand the other person to make us feel a certain way, you know, make me feel loved, make me feel beautiful. And sometimes, you know, that comes up in, in the negotiations and sometimes there's a solution, sometimes there's not, you know. Um, but altogether, all in all, if you're willing to both sit down and and have a conversation, some of it may be uncomfortable. Absolutely. I think I think there could always be a solution. And if it turns out that you're just not met for one another, then you feel like the best thing is to go your separate ways, then that's okay too. And you know, that's okay too. No, no hard feelings. Not not everyone is meant to be with one another. Um, and as a matter of fact, that's one of the uh there are some there there are some things that I observe when I'm working with someone with mind-body healing that could potentially be causes for relapse. And a lot of times the relationship is one of the most common uh, potential cause for relapse. Reason being, and this goes out to those that have been in long-term relationships for a really long time, especially if you're married with children, right? This, this is, in my opinion, married with children is a high risk uh, person for relapse if they're doing the journey by themselves <clears throat> if they're doing it uh together then great you know we can move along but if the person is coming by themselves i'm going to do this healing journey uh it's a high risk for relapse for the simple fact that um it's a high risk for separation because the person that you know let's say the wife is the one with as just an example um the person she is now 
with AS is very different than the person she will be without it. You know, so if the husband got used to being with a goodest, a people pleaser, a perfectionist, you know, someone who's always talking about these grandiose ideas and they never follow through. If that's what that person got used to, and now this person is no longer people pleasing, now they're setting boundaries, now they're saying no. Now all of a sudden they don't have a problem with the government or or the doctors or or anyone that they usually blame and project their their shadow onto. It's a very different person. And sometimes they don't match anymore. You know? So if they're going at it together, the healing journey, even though the other person doesn't have AS or or back pain, great. You know, we're in a good spot. Um, but if it's just one person. And they're married with kids and all that. I go, Oy, that may be a tough one, but let's give it a try. Mm. Let's give it a try. Uh, do you hear uh, commonly in relationship that uh, two, let's just call them TMSers, mm -hmm. <laughs> attract each other? You know, like, is it common for two people with TMS, whether they're maybe showing symptoms or not, but those relationships find each other. And I mean, to get into uh, Eckhart Tolle and A New Earth and talking about pain body, pain bodies can attract pain bodies. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And so it's an addiction, right? Yeah. Our pain body is a fat, <laughs> juicy addiction, right? Oh, yeah. And so two pain bodies talking to each other and they're negotiating the relationship at the beginning. And it's all about, you're going to feed my pain body. You're going to feed my pain. Body. Okay, cool. Then we play feeding each other pain body. But like mm -hmm. you're talking about one of the people says, Hey, there's something going on here. You know, uh, <laughs> I, I don't want to play this anymore. Can we, can we, uh, talk about this? Because I think there's maybe another way to go about it. I'm kind of getting bored of this. <laughs> pain body slapping each other in the face yep <laughs> opera we're doing here and say the other person's you know hinting like hinting 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 uh you know and doing the work on their own and you know sliding the sarno book over and the other person's like nah this is i, I don't understand like what what is this uh no 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 i like my cairo my my uh you know my uh my doctor, my fiber, my whatever it is, my pain, my suffering. How does that person negotiate the relationship? How do? Depends on the person and their circumstances, you know, because I've seen people that, you know, they have exactly that going on and the awakening is happening. The light bulb is turning on and now what used to be a relationship between two pain bodies now feels like a relationship between a, a healthy adult and a child yeah that's what it starts to feel like when one person gets ahead and the other one is still a baby with with their pain body that's what it feels like except that for some people even though the pain body is a childlike state of being, it's still a full-grown adult. 
and for some people there is domestic violence involved you know so one person could be going through the healing journey and they're feeling great and they're like let me set a boundary on this guy or in this person and what comes back is a frying pan you know or a shoe or a fist you know in that case you know they will have to yeah contact the domestic violence hotline and you know it, it can get really messy um you know so depending the good news is that so far um the majority of people i've worked with have supportive partners that support the journey and for the most part when it's it's kind of funny right but for the most part when it's a uh, a woman going through the experience through the healing journey many times the husband is like yeah, yeah i don't believe in that you know but they're supportive enough you know they're supportive enough um the majority of men that come along is because their wives found found me on the internet you know? <laughs> so, <laughs> the, the men are usually not the ones looking after their own health you know right so you know yeah so far i've seen supportive of one another um on the journey so i've been i've been pretty lucky and the ones that are not supportive we never got to doing a formal program you know we had a few conversations chats here and there husband got better or wife got better and then came one or two things difficulty communicating with one another you know a healthy adult versus a child or separation or relapse right one of those three things right and it's beyond it's beyond me uh right right yeah fascinating it's really a peculiar addiction you know it uh because it's elusive and it's not a bottle it's not a you know a smoke or a whatever it is it's uh illusory and our you know i love our culture mm -hmm. but it supports it you know it's it does you know once we see it it can become maybe humorous or or not but uh you know it's supported everywhere i mean you watch tv and it's my god it's all about the drama right that's right or I mean, or we can be honest with ourselves and admit that there's a part of us that likes the drama <laughs> you know and <laughs> right. sit with our moms and talk about the news and who got <laughs> shot you know right. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like all right i'm ready to go home now that's enough right that's enough that's, of that that's enough for one day <laughs> it's the difference between hanging out with a friend at a bar having a beer right and just being a full-blown alcoholic yeah right that's the difference yeah you know, right once you, once you break the addiction you can sit down yeah let's have a beer yeah a little bit of wine yeah okay i had enough guys i gotta go um you know drink responsibly i'm not here to get shit faced you know just ready to go home and you, go, you go home you know right Fuck, that's a great analogy that yeah. is uh, i love that i really do yeah okay let's uh Let's move out of relationships and uh, what what gets in people's way, Ralph? Is there a common denominator? Someone's doing great. I mean, maybe you already answered this, but uh, maybe there's some more to unearth. Someone's doing great, doing a little better, uh, or they start getting it. They're almost there. They're on the edge. Something gets in their way. What gets in the way? I have a list of four things um i call it four stages of healing the incurable um and i put it down in my notes uh 
because it's an if it's a it's a frequently experienced thing that I see. Um, so the four different stages of you know what people experience when they're when they're on this journey, whether they know it or not, right? So stage one is the person that is completely clueless about the link between their psychological ways of being, their personality, and their physical symptoms. They're completely clueless, and there's nothing we can do for them. Um, and it even it can even go as far as they can hear this podcast, they can hear all the episodes, they can read something on the on the local newspaper or see something on the news and because they're so detached from this topic from this experience um to them it just doesn't make any sense you know it's it, it just doesn't link so that'll be stage one stage two is trying to convince yourself that it's possible for you and you could i personally i can always hear this in someone's speech even when they're so ready and enthusiastic and excited to sign up to the program i can still hear the doubt hmm. even if they if they if they're saying yeah i'm ready i'm ready i'm ready i can i can hear the skepticism All right for example um one person can come around and say um man you know i've been doing these affirmations and i'm doing these exercises and i'm really focusing on my tms healing and it's going it's it's, it's fantastic that, you know everything is going can you believe that there was an article in the newspaper about the mind-body connection we're making progress we're making progress no we are not making progress the medical people are catching on no they are not catching on it's you you are making progress in trying to convince yourself that this is possible, right? Because you need some type of evidence from the newspaper and the medical industry to what? To reinforce your skepticism, you know, to reinforce your, your, your belief that this is possible, right? So there's, people, there's a lot of people stuck in that, in that number two stage. <clears throat> number three, People that are stuck in a deceptive avoidance pattern, self-deceptive avoidance pattern. And um, these are people that are on a healing journey and simultaneously at the same time are actually avoiding the healing journey. And they don't know that they're avoiding the healing journey. They think they're on a healing journey, but they're actually not, right? Let's take the people pleaser and the goodest, for example. So these are people that struggle with setting healthy boundaries and they become very, very resentful when they feel like other people are taking advantage of them. Right. But if you feel resentful for people taking advantage of you, but you're hanging out with a bunch of goodists and you're surrounded by good people, you don't recognize that resentment. It's only when you're hanging out with the resentful people in the corner that, that you're free to speak up because no one here is gonna judge the part of you that is resentful. The example, the gamblers, right? No one feels guilty when they're gambling with gamblers. They only feel guilty when they're gambling with, with goodists, you know, or people that are like, oh, I don't gamble. It's terrible, it's a terrible hop, ha habit to have, you know, but the gamblers, they make you feel so normal doing something that's 
in your opinion, or at least in the opinion of one part of you, not normal, right? So these people have the resentment, the anger, the frustration, and because they're not comfortable feeling that, they want to repress it from, them, from themselves, what comes up is one of those seven things that we mentioned earlier. Or it comes up in the form of anxiety. So now you go on a healing journey to try to control your anxiety. You start meditating and journaling and doing breathing exercises to soothe your anxiety. It seems like you're on a healing journey because you're doing stuff to get rid of that anxiety. But at no point do you actually address the reality that you have a hard time saying no. You have a hard time setting boundaries. And the discomfort, the emotional discomfort that comes from saying no, especially if it's someone that you love, that's the real healing journey. That's the real healing journey. One exercise that I like to give to people that I work with is to set three, three to four boundaries in one day. And it could be as simple as just saying no. And you get bonus points if you say no right after someone said yes to you. Right, so you're hanging out with somebody, you know. Hey, you know, hey, can you buy me a juice? Yeah, I'll buy you a juice. And there you are drinking your juice, and the person goes, "Hey, can you lend me a, a quarter? I gotta go feed the meter." You're like, "No, no, sorry, pal." <laughs> it's like, it's like, dude, I just got you a juice. You can't give me a quarter to feed the meter. <laughs> nope, I can't. Well, you have quarters. I saw them. Yeah, well, too bad, buddy. Sorry, but thanks for the drink. You know, it's like you get bonus points for that one. But basically, the real healing journey comes down to this can you learn how to set healthy boundaries and stay present with that discomfort that comes from it and if you can't then you're going to go back to the fake healing journey and this is what gets in the way for the people that are stuck in in that self-deceptive avoidance pattern right it's the equivalent to oh wow i really want to go to the gym i want to join the gym but i need to buy workout clothes first and there you are with a whole closet full of workout clothes and you never actually use them because mm. you don't go to the gym. And yet it, the gym is full of people with torn T-shirts, you know, and, and old dirty jeans and no one says anything. All right. You don't even need the clothes, but this is a way to convince yourself that you're moving closer to going to the gym when in reality you're not. And then number four, these are the people that um, they don't get in their own way. I will say these are the people that have an inner knowing uh, mixed with an openness to get back to living. You know, these are the people that are like, okay, I'm not quite sure how this works, but um, I know it's possible. I need help and I'm willing to explore uh, what comes next. Um, and they're also willing to stay present with the discomfort that comes from setting boundaries, from letting go of their perfectionism. You know, they're, they're open to all of this. These people experience relief. In my almost 10 years of doing this, I've seen it happen 12 times overnight, literally overnight. When we have a conversation next day, back pain is gone, you know? And then from there, we're just dealing with the life coaching part, you know, what's really going on in their life and the pain just disappears. And for the most part, anywhere between four to six weeks, so between four to six weeks, these people go go experience full relief. And it's like, it's not a miracle. It's not a miracle. It's just that they're open 
they just don't know. It's like, can you tell me what's the how? You know, help me understand this. But I'm I'm open to this. I be I believe in this. You know, so depending on what stage they're in, these are some of the things that get in the way of of people healing. You're either deceiving yourself. You're either trying to convince yourself when you really don't believe this is possible for your mind. You don't have to believe, you know, but at least be honest that you don't believe. You know, I tell people all the time, if you if you can feel your skepticism, you're a lot closer than the people that are trying to convince themselves. So, you know, I'm skeptical. You know, and there's a ton of people that watch YouTube videos, probably listen to this podcast. They're skeptical and they're still trying to convince themselves. Right. And then we have the people that are in stage one and they're just, you know, these are the ones that are. Uh, I'll tell you, I'll give I'll give you a little heads up about these folks um, in number one. These are the people going back to that analogy with hanging out with gamblers, right? These are the people that you're going to find in your local support group. So you're in these support groups and you're looking for answers on how to heal and get better. And these are the ones that if you say just one thing about the possibility that it may be related to trauma and your emotions and your beliefs and your behavior, they will come at you like a bunch of piranhas. I've experienced it myself. I've seen a whole bunch of people that I've worked with experience it too. And they all come back with the same comment. Ralph, why is that? I mean, I don't know. You tell me. Why don't you step into a casino and tell all these gamblers how bad it is to gamble? <laughs> you know, it's like, why would why would you even do that? <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like if you decided to quit gambling, just leave the casino. You don't have to make yeah. everyone else quit too. Right. You know. Um I would love to, I don't think today's the day for it because it might uh, go into a massive conversation. And uh, like we talked about before we started, perhaps we could do a few yeah, sure. chats, man. What I would like to do, mental note, uh, is break down those four stages and just kind of open it up a little bit, like your experiences with, with folks in those stages. I mean, is that something you think would be valuable? Might I mean, be. I know what it is. I'd love to hear that. Might be. Um, there's only one way to find out, you know. We yeah. Um, should, do you got time? Do you got time? You want to get into I, that? I have time. I have time if you have time. Okay. The four stages. You just reiterated the first. Let's go to the second. Let's 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 open it up a little bit. Okay. So the second stage. What is that? Trying to convince yourself that it's possible for you. Okay. So when you're working with someone and they're in this realm mm -hmm. what's the discussion what have you seen in terms of ah, uh, getting past it overcoming it getting past it is as simple as recognizing that you're skeptical that's it it's like yeah i'm skeptical i doubt it And if the person is more Western la uh, language focused, meaning like Western medicine focused, tell them, hey, why don't you check out this book? See what you think. You know, something, usually something that has to do with therapy or some scientific thing. You know, guys like Gabriel Mate, um, Bessel van der Kolk. Um, there's a good one by. Donna Nakazawa, uh, Childhood Disrupted. 
Waken the Tiger by Peter Levine. These are all great Western focused books that go a little deeper than Dr. Sarno. <laughs> Dr. Sarno, I love, I love that Dr. Sarno wrote a book that is so simple, straight to the point. But unfortunately, when you uh, have a group of people that are chronic overthinkers and over rationalizers as a result of their OCD ish tendencies, Sarno may not be enough. Right, so these are some books that I recommend. Go read about this, see what you think. Yeah, you know? and you don't have to believe, you don't, but this satisfies the itch long enough as we're moving forward with the bigger picture. And then this, these things in the peripheral. If the person is more Eastern minded, then there are books that are more Eastern minded, like things about the seven chakras. You know, what happens when the root chakra is blocked? You know, how do we work with that? How do you experience a blocked heart chakra? As well as uh, my all-time favorite when it comes to the Eastern language is um, Letting Go by David Hawkins. You know, go read, read some Letting Go by David Hawkins. Uh, Eckhart Tolle, A New Earth is a really good one as well. But this is more Eastern, you know. So depending on the person where they come from some people are strictly whatever their holy book is and even in the bible it's right there right one of my favorite bible verses um when they asked i believe it was paul they asked um this was at the time where people were still trying to figure out if it's healthy or not to eat meat and they asked them you know like what's the best diet you know what's the right thing to eat and he said back to them, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a man. It is what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a man. So it's what you speak. You know, what's what's in your heart? What's coming out of your mouth? King David had a disease, confessed his sins and healed. Confession only means acknowledging, acknowledging that you're a gambler. Admit that you're a sinner. Admit that you're skeptical. You can move on. Oh, but my anger. Oh, please. Jesus was flipping tables at the temple. And he never apologized. He was pissed off, furious, flipping tables at the temple. So what makes you think that you have to repress and control your anger? You know, sure, it's one thing if you're hurting people physically, emotionally, psychologically, but to just feel it? You're more of a saint than Jesus if you just feel it. Just acknowledge it. Let's let's get into that, man. That, I think that's a juicy topic, and we're gonna get back to the others. But <laughs> expression of anger, healthy expression of anger, because we're there, man. We're there. Okay, so you're in a fight with your spouse. Things are getting a little heated. You have some strong opinions. Is it? Uh, I'm aware of this trigger. I'm stepping back, and I'm gonna feel it in the other room. Feel it just the resonant of it, you know, politely excuse myself. Mm. Thank you, baby. I'm just I feel that things getting a little bit too heated. I love you, but I gotta I gotta go in the other room, just experience this raw sensation of anger mm -hmm. and let this integrate. Um, and maybe come back the next day. You know, when you were saying this, you know, let's try to rationalize what happened throughout this mm -hmm. conversation. Okay, so great book that you use uh i believe at least used to was uh, uh when anger scares you 
I love oh, yeah. that book. Awesome. So healthy, I believe. Mm -hmm. So appropriate expression of anger. Just we're going to go into it more. I know it, but let's talk about it just a little bit. Okay. That's the question. That's yeah, please. How would you how do you how do you go about expressing anger? Uh for me personally, I went through my stages. I went I went through my stages of um getting in touch with my own anger. Um first like let, let go of the beliefs around anger, what anger means to you if you have limiting beliefs around that. But when you start to go into the feeling, you know, because it's one thing to understand the feeling and it's another thing to actually feel the feeling. When you start to go into the feeling, everyone goes through their stages. Uh, for me, I had to learn how to stop myself from really wanting to kill somebody. I would have really vicious, violent thoughts that would scare the bejesus out of me. Um, so I had to learn how to sit with that and just breathe into it, just let it be there. And then that turned into anger outbursts that were less threatening to me. Anger outbursts like punching a wall or, or punching a door. Fuck! Punching the door or slamming the door like a little kid. And then that turned into going for a walk. And sometimes that one was challenging because um, as I would go on my walk, sometimes I would turn my anger against me and I would have thoughts and feelings about hurting myself just because I was so angry, so angry. I would, I would literally think about hurting myself just because I was so angry. And then that walk turned into being able to speak. So I remember one day I was in a laundry room with my wife and the machines weren't working. So she was using one of the machines. This is a long time ago before we used to live in this in this apartment. Um, and her and I, we didn't live together, but I was helping her do the laundry. And um, one of the neighbors wanted to, she was waiting for the machine. Well, it turned out that when we finished using the machine, there was still stuff on the clothes. So we had to start the machine all over again. And the neighbor uh, says, says to my wife, you can't, you, you 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 can't do that. You know, it's my turn. I've been waiting for the machine. And my wife says to her, but I'm not done using the machine. So this lady opens the door. She starts taking her clothes out. And I took the clothes, put it back in the machine. I closed the door and I look at her dead in the eyes and I tell her, don't touch the fucking machine. And I was just looking at her like straight in the eyes. And she went and got her husband. And I said to her husband, touch the fucking machine and we'll see what happens. And obviously, this is not a healthy expression of anger, but we're going in stages. You know, we're talking about going into a full, full blown physical flare up to trying to sit with it and not lose my damn mind, to going to punching walls, to going for a walk, to eventually being able to speak it while I was angry. And then that went into a healthier way of speaking my anger while it was there. So the healthier way is being able to just say what I want to say. Just get the words out without the profanity, without the 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 rage of threatening people, you know, just putting it out there. Okay, like this, look, you know, I don't appreciate when you eat my Twinkies, just an example. 
right? I, I walked a really long, you don't understand. These Twinkies are really important to me. Just getting the words out there, you know? Sometimes when my wife and I are having our, our disagreements and it's getting heated, <laughs> sometimes she says, do you love me? No, I don't. I don't. Not right now. <laughs> Not right now. I don't, you know? I don't. I don't love you right now. And then once that heat has been let out, now we go into the healing. Look, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to say that I don't love you. I do love you. I don't love you when I'm pissed off, but I do love you a lot. You know, I love you so much that I don't punch things, you know, and I don't go for a walk and whatever. You know, I apologize. I'm sorry. And then we can go into our tears if there are tears to be shed. I apologize. Even if my mind is telling me I didn't even do anything. It's like we're not children. You know, this is the, the pain body, the childlike mentality. Like, I was right, you were wrong. You know, you apologize to me. I don't have to apologize to you. No, we both we both apologize. Even if I feel like I'm right, we both apologize. We talk about it, we heal, we hug, we make up. We enjoy makeup sex if that's what comes up next, whatever. But the point is that while the heat is there, it's very hard. Like it's very difficult to to see what we call love and compassion. So there is no loving way to be angry. You know, it's just anger. It's there. When we're angry, there there is a feeling of wanting to either emotionally, psychologically, or physically hurt someone else. Question is, can you be present with that feeling? Speak out your anger without using the profanity or lashing out or threatening. You know, think of it like in sports. You know, like you're playing sports, you're playing whatever sport it is, and you're getting really competitive, you know, and you guys start trash talking. That's anger. And then after the game is over, you hug and you go, wow, that was a great game, man. Man, you really had me there. And everyone's shits and giggles, and then there's the healing. So even in sports, we see this happen all the time. You know? So when we're trying to feel our anger, and we're still trying to have these loving, compassionate thoughts, we're thinking about the anger. We're not actually feeling it. When I feel angry, I don't have those compassionate thoughts. But I'm aware of where I am. I'm aware of where my mind is. You know, you put me now in that same position with the lady with the laundry, and I would tell her, no, you're not You're not going to take the clothes out. And her husband would have came over and said, look, we're using the machine. I understand where you're coming from, but no, you're not touching it. Plain and simple, you're not touching it. Oh, you think you own the building? Yeah, that's right, I own the building. I don't give a shit what you think. But they're stages. At least where I'm coming from. Yeah. Other people may have a different experience. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's not saying that that's, that's for everyone, that sequence of, right. that was yours. That was your journey. Was yeah. It's fascinating. I mean, yeah, for me, it's like, oh my gosh, the, the urge to my, my go-to was to just repress it, model mm -hmm. it down, fucking extreme anger and i wouldn't even know what was going on oh yeah you've got a clue 
Oh, like yeah. I wouldn't even know that something triggered me into anger. Let's, I'd just be miserable for days on end. <laughs> like, you start probably, meditating. Start meditating. <laughs> <laughs> trying to, yeah. So, I mean, it took, it took a, a lot, a lot oh, yeah. for me. And then just slowly, just creeping in just a little bit, like of awareness, like, oh, I'm angry now. This is mm -hmm. anger. Oh, I feel it here, here in my face. Uh, mm -hmm. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, you know, just, growing that awareness um incredible journey uh, but speaking it that is that's the art that's the art communicating in a healthy way mm -hmm. as if, best we can as best we can if you know uh yeah so was there anything else you wanted to say about uh second stage um did not like uh, skepticism no no that's, okay that's, that's pretty much it so next one is avoiding and uh, what was do you call it? It was two two names under the bracket: avoiding and I call it stuck and self-deceptive avoidance patterns. Stuck and self-deceptive. Okay, cool. Mm -hmm. When folks have been tumbling around in this washing machine, <laughs> <laughs> no pun intended. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> To continue on with our beautiful analogy uh what uh what how do you eddie what what happens in here when people are able to move through it uh well what happens um when they're able to move through it is that they move from this stage three to stage four you know they start to make the effort uh, to look at the real issues in their life. And um, I'm personally very delighted when this starts to happen um, for anybody on their journey, because it's usually the point where they go, you know, Christmas was coming and I had a cook for the whole family and I knew, I knew I was going to flare up and I flared up. And as soon as Christmas was over, went away. So they start to see the, the patterns of when and what actually triggered the flare up. So now they start to move to stage four. And it's no longer about, Ralph, what should I do when I'm flaring up? That's not, it's no longer the questions they ask. But instead, it becomes Ralph. Can you help me learn how to how to tell my family that I'm not cooking Christmas dinner for everyone? The sessions go from uh, stage one, two, three, whatever it is, to role playing. We role play. We, you know, what's what's your negotiation style? Like we all have our negotiation style. Some of us guilt trip other people to get what we want. Some of us use our anger to try to scare people into giving us what we want. So, we, you know, we as human beings, we're, we're beautiful, crafty beings, you know? So if the person says, well, the one that really gets me is when people guilt trip me. Okay, we come up with a safety word. You know, what's the safety word? And um, I'll do my best to guilt trip you in this role play, you know? 
oh, time out, time out. Oh man, I can feel that. That's really intense. You know, yeah, take your time, you know, but we're exposing you to these feelings. We're exposing you to an environment. It's compassionate, it's loving, it's caring. It goes at your own pace. And eventually the person goes out into the world and can do this in real time with other people, you know, and they remember their training. It's like, oh yeah, I remember this. You know, well, you're really good at guilt tripping, but let me tell you, if I had a coach, this Ralph guy, <laughs> he was something else <laughs> with this guilt tripping stuff, you know? So that's that's pretty much that. Um, that's, that's really all there is. We just move from the never-ending journaling, meditating, positive affirmations to the reality of things. There's a part of me that doesn't love me. Sometimes it's there, sometimes it's not. It does help me. Sometimes it doesn't. And the key word is sometimes. So what's the point of the affirmation? All right, so we let go of the affirmation. The journaling, what's the point of journaling? You know, it's like you journal to do what exactly? When everything you write is from the perception of your pained mind, your pain body. Everything you write is from the perception of your pain body. Everything you listen to, the music, the movies you watch, the uh, the books that you read is all is all coming from the pain that you're in. All of it. So everything you journal about is just you and your pain bathing in your own mud. So then, what are we journaling about? Meditating. Well, I meditate. Well, let me tell you something. Everyone likes to drink pre-workout. I don't, but everyone likes to drink pre-workout. And pre-workout, the stuff that you drink before going to the gym, starts working before you drink it. It just so happens that the moment you decide to drink your pre-workout, you're already in the mood to go to the gym. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So when you think about meditating, you're already in the mood to meditate. You're not feeling the stress or the anxiety that you have to stay present with. So now how do we expose you to these feelings? Only life can do that. You know, role playing does it to some extent, but only life can do that. Yeah. On, only life is gonna put you in a position where you have to ask your boss for a raise. Say, like, I need to ask my boss for a raise. Only life does that. So when we're in our sessions, we're trying to figure out ways to prepare you for that battle. And once you're ready for that battle, you go out there and do the best you can. If you get your ass kicked in the next session, we talk about it. We lick our wounds and we try it again until eventually you learn, okay, I'm going to be scared. I'm going to be nervous. I'm going to ask for that raise. And only life can do that. Meditation is not going to do that. Yeah. Only life can expose you to your fears. So that's my my issue with number three. It's just avoidance mechanisms. You know, let me go meditate for my anxiety. Why? Because I was hanging out with a bunch of people and I was anxious. Okay. What's the problem? You know, that made me anxious. You know, I'm such a good person. All they want to do is gamble. Hmm. <laughs> I think we have to have a talk about that. <laughs> cool. Um, you know, there's so much more 
I think uh, I think we'll leave it at that for now. Perfect. Sounds good to me. Yeah, man. And uh, there's a lot more to talk about. So uh, if you're listening and you're like, I need more. I need it. I need my fix. I need more. Need more reassurance. <laughs> it's coming. It's coming, my friends. I'm almost convinced. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Almost there. We're gonna meet up again, Ralph. Right. Sounds good, brother. Yeah. Okay. Whenever you're you're ready. Okay, that sounds wicked, man. Uh, I wish everyone a beautiful day. Is there anything else you want to say, Ralph? Say goodbye. Uh, no, nothing. Nothing to say. Just make sure that uh, uh, wherever you are in your journey, you remember remember the number one requirement, um, which is your commitment to life. You know, your commitment to living. Um, none of this is useful if you're just here trying to get rid of the pain because you're afraid of it. You know, it's like that's that's it's not gonna get us anywhere. Um, the moment you reconnect with your true passions, your true drive, your true self, your true personality, uh, then the journey begins. The real journey, not not the one that the internet promotes. Mm. Uh, okay. Perhaps we'll talk about that a little bit more in the future. Wish, wish everyone a beautiful day, night, whatever it is for you. We'll talk to you later, Ralph. Blessings. Thanks Bye. for being here. Hello, everybody. Thanks for listening. Please feel free to subscribe to the show, or if you'd like, write a review. Let me know what you think, and uh, if there's any topics that you'd like covered, please let me know. Favorite episodes. All right. Bye-bye. The text and audio files contained in this program are for information use only. It is not meant to treat, cure, diagnose any medical health condition you may or may not have. For medical advice and treatment, please speak to a medical health professional.